Hi, and welcome to Decoding AQ, helping you to learn the tools, mindsets, and actions to thrive in an ever-changing world. Hi, and welcome to our next episode of Decoding AQ. With me today, I have Pranav Banange joining us from India, and he is a speaker, he's a mentor, he's a coach, but he's also the CEO of Petronas, Petronas, uh, which is a global energy company with over 30,000 employees and presence in 50 countries. So welcome. Hi, Ross. Glad to be here. So with someone who started with a degree in engineering and chemical engineering that went off into some systems analysis and consulting time at, at Boston Consulting Group, over this kind of last decade that you've been at your current for, uh, firm, you, as I did my internet stalking, as I do with a lot of my guests as best we can, is starting in then digital transformation and then ending up as the CEO for a division and for the South Asia region. I want to touch on a, an interesting part of our current times that we're facing at the moment in the fact that you know, we're living in this world of really accelerating change, increasing uncertainty everywhere. And right. where the ones that seem to be doing very well are the ones that are good with chaos. They're good with this flux, with this, you know, need for adaptability and this maybe just ability to navigate that journey of consistent change with a smile. But there are others who are really struggling. And I, I wonder when you look at all of that, this landscape of uncertainty and pieces maybe 12 months ahead what are you most excited about what really gets you excited <laughs> I, I know you've, you've sort of framed the question in a positive way so i like it and um but i'll contextualize a bit uh, ross before i jump into the the excitement bit um so if, you know pre-covid um we were in a we were in a pretty much a steady state. So when, when I when I decode a steady state, what I mean is that you know there is demand and then there's supply, and you're able to um, sort of assess the demand, say three months, six months, eight months down the line, and you know organizations were able to plan the supplies as a three, six, eight, nine, twelve, etc. And of course there are some sectors you've seen exponential growths and. In some sectors, you see contraction, but that was sort of more or less in a steady um, state. So, a if state you had predictability, you know, there was a level of predictability. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So, if you just sort of plot these two imaginary curves, you know, they sort of go hand in hand. So, there is, they may be parallel to each other, but they're going hand in hand. I think what's happened in the last three years is that these curves have gone out of whack. Uh, meaning when there is extreme demand, there is a supply constraint. When there is abundant supply, there is a demand loss. And I guess, you know, we as individuals, as, as organizations, as a group or teams, you know, we, we've not been exposed to this kind of a, a environment and a sustained environment for over a period of time. And I think therein lies the crux of um, what you mentioned in terms of, you know, that's, that's, a, that's the story of our time. So how do you manage this? Um, how do you try to predict it? 
you know, in some instances, your your decisions look really weird even three months down the line. So in this extreme sort of scenarios where these two curves are no longer congruous or no longer in line with each other, there is a big fallout on the people who are involved in this. Um, right from the front end sales teams, right from supply chain teams or management teams, leadership teams, each and every sort of team has had its own take out of this challenge. And they're, uh, you know, sort of reeling under this continuous pressure of uncertainty. Um, so if you take a positive spin on it, I'll go straight to your question as to what excites me about these times. Uh, two things, you know, this is, this is a great time to actually, to be a professional. If you, if you broad base it, I mean, I always like to broad base things. You, uh, you don't need to just look at last one year or two years, you look at the horizon of 10 to 15 years and you say, okay, that was a blip. But you look back at the blip and you said you enjoyed it. So I think it's an exciting time because we've never been presented with this kind of a flux for a longest period of time. And it's really for professionals, for entrepreneurs, you know, even for people like yourself, uh, there's so much to, to learn through these times. And if you come out alive after two, three years, you can wear your badge of honor and you know, a couple of stripes and a couple of more stripes than what you already have or a few more feathers in your hat and uh, really come out as strong professionals, uh, strong leaders, uh, strong mentors, or even, you know, just strong individuals. I mean, if you're withstanding this opportunity or this, this kind of flux, it's really improving you as individuals. So that's the exciting part of it. And this is what I say to my teams as well as many a times is that, you know, this just learn through it. I mean, this is, you can attend lots of VUCA classes or they can go to your books and literature that you have written and learn about VUCA, but it's one, Learning is one, but living in a VUCA is, you know, not everybody gets a chance. So it's our chance. Uh, we are all soldiers. This is our war and uh, we are in it. So we, uh, I guess that's the part of the excitement to really put your knowledge to, to test and see whether you can really come out of this um, with, you know, with success and come out of this successfully and also as a better individual. So the... The environment that you see is this opportunity to accelerate our experiential learning. And Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I had a vi visual going on in my head as you were talking where I was looking at a theme park in my head. And mm -hmm. theme parks are great. They're exciting. They've got all these rides around and I might pop on the roller coaster. Then I come off and then I'll walk somewhere else and I'll pop on something. Then I might take a break. Mm -hmm. I'll have some lunch. And the reality is, is that we got on the roller coaster and it's sustained on there and we haven't been let it's off. <laughs> and it was exciting yeah. in, the, in the moment and it was exciting when we're there, but it's exhausting and potentially over corrosive over a period of time. And that sustainment is that actually I've not built that way. I don't know how to go to the loo. I don't know how to Correct. eat. I don't know how to perform. All of these Correct. basic Correct. things I took for granted. Now in this thing that I was just hopping on for a moment, because we all yeah. have various things that come in and, and we go, oh, yeah, there's an opportunity or that didn't work, but I've learned from it. So I think the, the challenge then is if we're in this theme park of which, you know, it's a continual ride and a continual mm. pace, 
the, how do we even take the moments to learn in that environment? How do we take the ability to reflect? How do we take those spaces um, mm. when it almost feels like we're always on, we're always learning, we're always experimenting. I've got to perform, I've got to learn, I've got to do these things. And there's just pressure, pressure, pressure. Uh, is that something that you see or have you been able to see it differently? Because, of course, it's all about perspective, isn't it? So what's your thought around that? No, I, I agree with you 150 percent here. Um, uh, if, if you just look at the evolution of humans, right? I mean, uh, we, we, are, we are genetically wired and physiologically wired to take stress for a small amount of time. Um, I mean, recently I went to a, a national park and saw a tiger up close. And very interestingly, um, you know, a tiger can try to make a kill. He has to wait for one and a half day to actually, you know, get his strategy right. And then he makes that bust of that energy that, you know, that, that explosion of energy that happens to actually catch the prey. And if he misses it, he actually has to rest because to come back to that, that, from zero to hundred, it'll take another, you know, few hours. And ironically, you would have a few deers around him because they know that you know this guy can't do much for the next two hours, so it's it's okay. So I guess you know we we are much like that. You can take that sustained. You, you cannot take the sustained stress, which you absolutely rightly identified. Um, so how do we survive in this everlasting roller coaster? I think it's a very 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 interesting and a poignant point because uh, there could be few strategies. I mean, maybe I can share a perspective from my end, but there's no there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, number one, which has worked for me is, as I mentioned earlier, is broad basing. So broad basing is where you step back and then instead of looking at one year, you sort of draw a line for a whole decade and see that, you know, in that decade, this is just a small blip on a long journey. So that makes you feel a little bit more comfortable and say, okay, fine, we will sort of get away from this soon. The second thing that, is, that has worked as well is to have a um, sort of imagine yourself 10 years down the line. What, what would say Ross be doing? Maybe in you know, some beautiful beach somewhere or lying on a yacht or you know, wherever that is. So that gives a sense of purpose of saying that, fine, let me just get through this grind to go to that eventual uh, goal that I have. And last but not the least, uh, Ross, I think what I've seen is a lot of people have developed a different sense of purpose. Um, they, they question their choices and careers. They've questioned their actions. They're questioning their, you know, is it worth all this? And, you know, they're developing new sense of purpose and saying that, okay, let me just use this opportunity to pivot myself into something else, which I always wanted to do. And now it's suddenly sort of, you know, flashing before my eyes. So uh, different sort of ways of going through it. Uh, these are all the positive ways of going through yeah. it. But on the flip side, I must add that, you know, there are people who have, you know, taken some extreme steps. There are people who have really gone into depression yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of the negativity around as well. And, and I think the, the reality of that is around who we're surrounding ourselves with. Mm. And we need, Correct. you know, people that we can serve, that we can help and equally mm. gift others that can serve us by being the person they're serving. 
you know, in that continual kind of change and see that not as um, a bad thing, but all of it is service. To be able to be helped by someone else is a two-way act. Um, Absolutely. And I, I, I think some of these, these challenges of where we see someone, ah, they're having a bad time or they're having a good time, and we kind of judge those two things as good and bad mm. rather than just experiences, just both experience. of which can be wholesome, both of which could be enriching if we can have some perspective about it. Now, it's, it might be easy to see uh, or say these things when you're not inside that situation. So if you know, we see and observe some others that might be finding this disconnect, you know, might, they might be then showing up of, ah, oh, I've been on this roller coaster, I've decided it's not for me, I'm a disconnect from this purpose, and I want to, I want to mm. reset. Um, reset, you know, that reset might come, because it's slapped us in the face and said, oi, you know, I'm going to take your health away. So you have to mm-hmm. reset, I, you know, a, a burnout, a piece, or maybe you are able to head it off early, a little bit upstream before it becomes a, a real burning platform. Right. That, that, that early warning signs that are there. And I'm, I guess you see it around your team where they're facing challenges. They're facing these obstacles and they, they kind of show up in a few different ways for us, don't they? These, these obstacles. And the way in which we make decisions, I want to laser in on a bit of your perspective here, because you mentioned about the, you know, the lion and his prey or the tiger and his prey and building up and then needing to rest. A lot of this challenge that we face when a change comes along is we see it and we're instantly fearful because we yearn and we're built in our you know, mm-hmm. way to avoid things that are strange. We see them, if they're different, as fearful and we get the amygdala hijack. We go into a yeah. stress response and our decision-making yeah. is impaired. It's so if, if we're really on this roller coaster, how can you make good decisions You know, when you're in that? And maybe a lot of these, you know, decisions that are happening of the great designation and disconnect of purpose of all of those things. Do we need to rest first before decision or do we need to make those things? What's the kind of view on decision-making in high stress environments? A uh, very, very good point. Uh, before, I mean, maybe I'll just, um, I mean, uh, there are, I, I picked up two sort of things I wanted to touch upon. One was early warning signs. I think maybe I can share a perspective. Second, I'll, of course, come on the decisions. Um, And uh, I guess it's very, very, very relevant and important for, say, even managers or even as, as, say, parents or fathers or sisters or brothers that we are to to really have an antenna for early warning signs. Um, They are are not that easy to spot. Um, They... they, uh, the most easiest way, you know, you can always say somebody's become very quiet or he or she doesn't engage, but I guess those could be misleading. And um, there is there is a need for the seniors in the house or, you know, the, the sort of the, uh, the more experienced people to really keep their eyes and ears open to, to see what's happening around them, the people that they work with or the people that they love, uh, because it's important. And there, there are enough and more examples that I've seen in the last two to three and a half years where people have just completely lost their bearings um, and 
gone 180 degrees in a different direction. So it's important to, 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 to keep an eye on it. What those are, I mean, I'm not an expert, but definitely, you know, some, some part of your brain can sense, you know, if something is amiss. On the decisions, Ross, I think, uh, well, hindsight is twenty twenty on most of the decisions, but I guess in what's happening right now, um, I, I think that the, uh, there are two or three important elements we need to keep in mind when you're making decisions. Number one, which is that some of the decisions may go wrong. And um, having that faith of, and having that heart to actually say, fine, this is a portfolio out of 10, at least three or four are gonna go wrong because we are just in those times where there is no steady state. So all the variables are changing. So number one is that having that, um, I guess that mental makeup and that, that trust within the team that, hey, listen, it's okay. We're gonna at least have 20, 30% of misfires and that's fine. Number two, uh, I guess where the good is getting separated or the greats are getting separated from the good are having good access to data, um, having, I mean, you, you've written a lot on artificial intelligence and you know, light topics, um, having good access to data, having a good stable uh, way to actually decipher data, take a position as to what may or may not happen and thereby quickly sort of make a call. And the third is having flexibility in the decisions. I think we have sort of moved away from the realm of 15 years capex and uh, you know, you'll reap the benefit at the end of seventh year. I guess that's, that's really going out of the window as I see it. So how do you break those long decisions into a series of sort, small steps and have enough pivots and flexibility so that you don't really get into a very bad position where it, you have to really write off you know, all that you've earned in the last uh, 20 years. So I guess those are two or three factors which are creeping in into decision-making. And, and I think the it, people or guys who are able to do it are, you know, are able to really make, make, make a good use of this crisis. I think it's an interesting one, isn't it, where we, we talk about this balance of zoom in, zoom out, or think long, plan short, or mm. prepare for, okay, we're going to do some of these things, and failure is good, we're going to learn from it, all of these things. And we try to build that in a culture, but do we go far enough? So where we have this balance between um, performing and learning, right? If it's in sports, mm. or if it's in the arts mm. or whatever, we have a period where we're doing practice, we're doing learning, and then we go and do a performance. We'll do the performance right. and we're expected to get an outcome, an applause, a result. And whilst in doing that itself as that act, we're still learning, but the difference is the outcome is what is being measured on the performance. When we're in the learning mm. mode, the outcome is progress. In business, mm. I think there's a real challenge with that at the moment is that what I've observed is I still see so much of the applause, the results and the outcomes being on performance, not on progress, not on the learnings, not on the game. Mm -hmm. So we talk about, oh, yes, we've got to learn fast, you know, fail cheap, fail quick, all of those things. But do we reward it enough? Do we structure it enough? Or are we still so structured around the reward systems 
of the old that is about the outcome, because that's what we need in business, right? We need the outcomes. What's your view of that kind of paradox of sort of this holding space for those two things of really rewarding learning and, uh, and expecting failure and maybe even celebrating it and then rewarding and celebrating the hitting the goal, the end result, the outcome. What's your thoughts on that? Um, see, I always like to box it in, in two ways. Um, so the, the reason of existence of any business is to have, is to make profit and to have cash to run. Um, that's, that's basic, basic. Whether you're a one-man show or a 10,000 strong company or whatever that is. It's value Unless, creation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, value creation is, 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 a, is a... Maybe is broad a nice, brush. Nice yeah, term, yeah. nice term. We need the cash. We need the, the financial yeah. aspect, yeah. We, the cash is... Any business needs to have cash and it should be for profit. Even you can wisely decide how to use that profit. You can give it to the society. I think that's step two. Um, now, to come back to your question, when I say I box it in two ways, is this, this fundamental frame is important. Now, if you have this frame, then you can have the behaviors that you want to drive. So for example, if you're a very profitable company, let's say take the Google or the Microsoft, et cetera, for sure. I mean, they need to give the platform for people to run and you know, make 25 different products out of which 24 will fail, but one will be that big you know, killer product. And these kind of companies can afford to, to have the playground for fall, you know, fail fast, fail cheap, throw a few, few million dollars down the toilet, it's fine. You know, we, 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 we measure progress. And like you said, I mean, if you're doing Macbeth, you know, your version 10 is better than version one. So that's great. Now, in, in another context, if this basic fundamental is not there, no matter what business we are, whether it's soft drinks or whether it's glasses or whether it's books or you're a law firm or whatever that is, if you don't have the money and if you don't, don't have the profits, okay, then all the bets are off. Uh, all the bets are off. No matter how much you want to learn, how much you want to, you know, uh, improve the the or how you want to get a pet-friendly office, or you want to take dogs to work, you want to have soft drinks for lunch, whatever. I, all bets are off because the the basic wheel is not in place. So my and I come from pretty much traditional setup, right? So consulting traditional setup. A, a traditional listed company. So very traditional mindset. And I, I, I always argue this fact that, okay, you need that basic frame to be right. And then you have all the rights to experiment. But what I'm seeing increasingly is I think we are, we are losing the purpose. Um, I mean, having three days work or, you know, like having take your dogs to work or, you know, if that is, that's not business. That's, that comes as your culture, but for that, you need to have a sustained business model. Um, so in conclusion to you know, what you shared, I'm fully for the fact that we should give uh, rewards on improvement. There has to be certain amount of rewards 
a certain amount of recognition, certain amount of uh, um, platform for improvement, uh, for efforts taken, um, you know, for inputs. But at the end of the day, yeah, the outputs have to be there. Uh, without that, uh, I guess you, you can get onto this. Uh, of course, if you have external money and somebody's pumping money into your business, that's fine. But again, it's not good in the sense that you're missing the core. Why, why did businesses come? You, know, you, you buy something at 100, you sell at 150. That's why you have business. You can't buy at 100, you sell it at 50. And then there's, I have the best work environment for everybody. I think it's going to last for like six months. Yeah. It's this interesting sort of paradox, isn't it, of the structure of kind of two innovation behaviors of how do we utilize and improve? So we're looking at productivity and efficiency of our core. So we extend the value over time of what we've got. And then our explore and transform. What's the new things that are coming next? Yeah. And that's for every individual, for every team, Absolutely. for every company. Absolutely. So that we you know, sharpen the saw whilst also playing with another tool to see at what point does the saw now no longer serve us in our thing. And I guess that's the journey of life that we go through. And it's at these various disruption points when we might get that a bit wrong. So if we have curtailed our innovation and the way we produce value now suddenly has shifted mm -hmm. in the industry, then that's mm -hmm. a dangerous point. And I guess the balance of a, a you know, leader is to play those two instruments sure, sure, uh, sure, sure. Of, of it. And I, I think one of the things that we found around you know, adaptability and understanding adaptable intelligence is to map that against the context. And where we have abilities and we have character, we also have an environment. What's the environment of when that uh, change is required and when it isn't? And so I, I want to ask a, a question actually around where we take our information from. You talked about data and a lot of it is noise, isn't it? You know, a lot of all this information that comes in. What are you listening to right now? What are the areas of information that you're learning from that maybe your mentors or your coaches or that you're really fascinated as an individual, as you, that um, is shaping your mindset and your thinking? Sure. Um, I'll just take one shot at what you mentioned about innovation before I go to Please. the data. Yeah. Um, to me, when I look at organizations, I think usually there are three or four organizations within the organization. Uh, so the core, which is essentially what's, what's actually paying the bills today, is the core. That has to be improved and has to be made more and more efficient. But at the same time, I think, as you've rightly said, it is, it is I mean, I, there is no way out of this, but every organization needs to have another organization which is thinking about something which will happen in three years' time, and that will become the PNL of the future. So that that kind of environment creation, I think that's the uh, that every leader in every company in every industry, um, he or she has to make that happen. So there is no more excuse for saying that. Let me just focus on my core. Because like you rightly said, you know, the tomorrow something may just go up, down, up, upside down, and suddenly what you have is no longer relevant. So that's a great point. I think coming to the fact of, um, you know, picking up information, um, 
that that's a bit of a tricky tricky one to answer but um i guess uh, um let let me sort of try to frame it in a way which makes sense um they uh, as an organization there are a lot of external touch points um that it has so it has its customers it has its consumers it has its business partners it could have its uh, route to market so it can have distributors etc so there's a lot of lot of these touch points that that organizations have externally and and the back end of course you have your vendors you have your suppliers um you know you could have suppliers supplier two or three degrees of uh, chain that it could be at the back Uh, what is relevant today and how how organizations need to pick up information is from all these touch points you know what's happening and these are becoming more and more relevant because you know value chain is becoming relevant you know today the distributors may exist tomorrow they may not so the value chain can get disrupted consumers yeah consumers are thinking a today b tomorrow c day after so um, prudent organizations are actually opening up all these uh, i would say these touch points to these, capture the these data. feedback loops you know the uh, feedback loops yeah, of the information exactly. and data coming in just coming in what's happening what's happening what's going on yeah. what's going on now the second challenge there is of course how to process and uh, what is noise what is not what is uh, you know what is the flavor of the month baskin robbins or what is a structural change um so those are the those are the difficult i guess difficult conversations and for that the organizations need to have the right uh, right platforms for discussions um you know uh, tolerate debates uh listen to people not don't just listen to people in the boardroom you know just go and listen to people outside you know get conflicting ideas from from the ground and those are the organizations which i believe will be able to really figure out what is noise what is a change or rather what is a sustained uh, um i would say irrevocable kind of a change that is happening and uh, through those conversations through those debates when those data points are discussed and debated a hypothesis would be formed the insight would be generated upon which the actions would be taken so again that's what differentiates good from great i mean everybody can listen but very few can process and very very few can can actually take an this action on that can take the action what happens um, i i want to follow up and dig a little bit deeper if i may in there what happens when so we set that up we set that structure up we get data in in a timely manner it's accurate we see it we can process it what if it looks unexpected something that we don't like something that it didn't validate you know our belief system belief and system. you know the immune system comes along and smacks it in the face and says oh there must be something wrong here or we don't need to listen to that or whatever which you know we've all seen that kind of happen in various levels and guises of the information was there but we didn't actually act on it we didn't listen Correct. to it because we were maybe unable to because our our field of vision was on core or on other areas that those uh, early warning signals even when we talked about earlier had you spot the early warning signals of a human being human maybe being yeah suffering is that this data that's coming in had we spot the right early signals i guess this is 
you know, the answer to being, you know, a great investor in the markets or whatever it is. No. That's, what de- that's what we're dealing with, right? Is we're trying yeah, to yeah. predict an outcome in an ever-changing, uncertain world from data that is, you know, relevant now but might mm. be less relevant in a week's time. Mm. So it, it's tough, right, to really deal with that. What are some of the principles you maybe put in place to deal with that? on the nitty gritty side of the data that, okay, we can have that theory and that framework, but when it's challenging, when it doesn't look right, when it's maybe the first response is to be in defense mode, how, mm. how, what, what are the things we can do there? Uh, see, uh, so if you look at this, some of the principles which are relevant, number one, and I, I mentioned this earlier in my comment is to have a team that tolerates debate. Um, why this is more and more relevant Ross, is that uh, we, we are no longer in the world where the leaders or the so-called leadership team or the, you know, the executive committee or MARCOM, whatever you call it, you know, they, they are not the you know, 15 wise people who are going to navigate the ship anymore. I guess that that culture has to move on. So that toleration of debate where you get counterfactuals or you get these kind of data, which, which, like you said, you know, it sort of knocks you off your perch and says, hey, you know, I was wrong all the while. Um, the reason why people don't act upon it is because it, the culture to actually bring that counterpoint may not be there, um, may not be tolerated. Now, let's say if I'm, I'm reporting to you and I say, Ross, you know, next in six months, you don't need to do this like this. It has to be a metaverse. And you would say, if you're an open boss, I can go and tell you that and we can have a nice chat. If you're not, I would just keep quiet and say, oh, let's, let's watch this. Let's watch this play out like a slow motion train wreck and see what happens. Um, so a culture, the culture and going back to some of the culture points you mentioned earlier, what, what, what do you define as culture? Is culture where people call spade a spade. You know, they are able to put their views without getting sort of, uh, you know, knocked on their, uh, knocked on their head for sort of saying something that uh, was not said in a, in a diplomatic way or blah, blah, blah. Second, um, the ability of the leadership team then to prioritize within the priority, which means that you would have three or four views and then you saw you got to take a position on something and say, okay, let's go and do this. Um, so that's, that's the second point why, you know, companies may not be able to act on that really aha moment, because how do you get the whole machinery to then go and execute on the idea that you have? So again, going back to this metaverse example, can you get the entire organization of yours to go and really put your put the money where your mouth is and as the organization the big and large of course it's very complex so you've got to take everybody along the journey and last but not the least um is also the uh, the sort of fear of failure right i mean maybe you convince the board and say hey this is metaverse is the next best thing and after six months everything is dead and then the board looks at you and say hey what happened there so I guess those three things in terms of having the right platform, open culture for tolerating debate, B, then actually having that will to, to, to put the team and you know, go, go after that insight. And three, 
having the right environment, which lets you sort of test it out. So those three things could translate into why some companies could do it and some couldn't. And just to conclude my point, I think it's also true in our personal lives. I mean, it's the same thing, right? I mean, you know that yoga is good for you, but you actually don't do it because you don't have the intent. Uh, but the data says it's is 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 jolly good. You got to do it. The data just the irrefutable fact that you got to do it. But you don't because you have, you know, whatever reasons that you want to find. So it's true. Organizations, individuals, the same principles would hold yeah. hold true. It, it's interesting, isn't it, when we're looking at behavioral shift here for. Uh, trying new things. And I guess for us, you know, we have these data points, we measure someone's ability to unlearn, to let go of something, we measure Mm. their uh, mental flexibility, we measure the, you know, team psychological safety, and all of these things get into a place where it's actually a muscle that you build. And maybe it's a way of, okay, start with some of the small bits that you can experiment with, rather than trying to reenact a shift across the entire organization. Uh, from that. And you mentioned about, you know, having a few of these things that go on and recognizing a few won't work. Maybe that can just be in our behaviors and our actions. And uh, okay, let's put that little bit of data. It's so counterintuitive. It really scares me. But what if it was true? Could we put a little bit out there to see if that is, is the the horse we should be on, uh, rather than it's left and we can't get on it anymore. So I think that that balance of you know, picking where and when to, to build up those little muscles, because then the culture that we get easier to unlearn, we get less, you know, this sunk cost fallacy of, ah, oh, we've always done it this way. All of these things has killed so many, but it's also made so many successful. So that in itself yep. is the dichotomy and the, the beauty of the journey of life, right? <laughs> of these yeah. things. The last thing... Yeah, and that's what- that's where the leadership also comes yeah. in right? because you need that those leaders to say, okay, let's go behind this because now after every debate, I'm convinced that this is the way it should be. And I'm going to take everybody on this chain of chain of events. So yeah, we need direction and we need decisions and they're hard, decisions. you know, decisions, they're, hard, yeah. they're very hard. You know, Decidra is to cut off. It's to say no to things. So a decision yeah. is exhausting. So it's a bit like, you know, we can have decision fatigue. The the tiger that's been oh, yeah. run after. Oh, yeah. Ooh, it's exhausting. So <laughs> making just a few really good ones um, and just being okay with that, I think, yeah, it's a great uh, skill for leaders to be able to do that. And once the decision is there, inspire and uh, enable not just compliance, but flow through Slow, understanding yeah. the yeah. you know, complementing natures of how to connect with somebody. Do they need, oh, this is going to be about make this change and you will win this because that's the way that we'll, they'll shift? Or is it make this change and we'll protect something you love? You know, the same change, but delivered to be complementing in flow with the, you know, ways in which they would get behind you and trust you that that matters to them so my 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 last uh piece is a link to curiosity and and learning and it's when was the last time you did something for the first time and what was it that's a good question so um in the 
uh, in these so many lockdowns, I've, I've forgotten how many lockdowns that we've had. I started to take up to play synthesizer. So I, I mean, I just never knew how to use, you know, the, the left hand and the right hand and the synchronization of it. And I had actually bought one for my kid and he didn't bother much. So I thought, why don't I use it? Because it's a sunk cost policy, right? So I already spent a lot of money on that stuff. It's lying there and it's my it's in my bedroom. So I started to do it. And um, I, I think that in that in that process, not that I can't, not that I'm good enough to go on a stage, but what I realized is that um, it's a, it's it, it's actually exponential curve. You know, this is a, any new learning. If you analyze the learning curve, is exponential. So the first year was incredibly hard, where you go like ta ta, you know, C sharp. Oh, okay. Then you go like, okay, now I don't even need to look at the keys, and I think something will sound melodious, even if it's you know may not be very good, but at least it doesn't. It's not a cacophony. So, I guess that that the first almost three quarters of the journey is actually is pretty flat, and then then it sort of shoots up uh, to the point where you say, yeah, okay, now it sort of makes sense, and. That there, therein is the learning, right? I mean, you got to go through that rough patch to to come out and say, okay, at least I got got some new skill. Of course, it it will not pay for my daily bread and for my electricity bills, but at least it gives me some pleasure. But the it will affect, like for all of us, our mindset when we're young. We're super curious. We're playing at everything and we're learning bits and some get thrown out to the frustration of our parents that they've you know, spent yeah. all of whatever time, resources and money into making that happen. But all of it is additive and this ability to meet things with a playful mind, with intrigue, with a, a naive uh, set of eyes into true, something true. is a beautiful way to live life. And I, I love to explore that conversation of, maintaining this curiosity go and try the clothes on of a new task a new role a new way of doing things and there are a few areas where it's life and death but for many people it isn't you know and we we take things almost too seriously that brings out the you know just the exhaustion than bringing joy bringing that playful it's um the last chapter of my book i talk about the the monkey king um and being able to in those heightened moments of absolute death and fear can you still be playful so if we have these decisions that we feel in that moment are so critical can we still see it through a curious naive joyful eye i think it's a, a, a a place to maybe allow us to have this journey of life that is one in lightness and not in dark places and sharp sharp yeah, objects. And, and that's where Ross humor comes in. I mean, if you're mm. able to, uh, if, if, if you are able to abstract yourself or take yourself out of the situation and make fun of the situation, I think it, it really lightens up the whole thing. I mean, it's very hard to do. So, mm. I mean, humor also has that Maslow's law, right? So you have the, slapstick at the bottom and then you have this really dark British humor at the top of it where you make fun about death and funerals and stuff like that but uh, that's the point where you're able to if you if you can take yourself out of that situation 
and then look back uh, or sort of reflect on the situation and make fun of the situation, it's really comes out very, very, very strongly. And like you said, then it becomes, it almost becomes like a sort of a, a you know, what? It's okay. Yeah. It's not life. And you, can, you can take it seriously, but you don't have to let that rule your behaviors and the way you do it. Uh, yeah. um, and, you, you know, there was a, a recommendation that someone wrote about you that made me smile. And it was, he knows how to motivate a, a team and carry them along the way to achieve the goals. He's a great down-to-earth communicator, a person with meticulous analytical skill, open-mindedness, but a healthy dose of a sense of humor. And I think that's a, a really great, piece for leadership isn't it is that we can understand how to motivate people we can be on their level down to earth we're all human beings how we serve somebody that is reporting to us in one guise is actually we're all working to the same piece and do that no, with yeah. some detail but also a healthy sense of uh, humor and a bit of open-mindedness it's been a real pleasure and intriguing to understand your own experiences and perspectives and i've got great confidence that our audience have got many things from you that they'll contemplate that they'll reflect on and that hopefully their version of themselves they see in 10 years time is a little more close to what they're going to be able to plot along the way so thank you very much thank you very much ross appreciate it do you have the level of adaptability to survive and thrive the rapid changes ahead? Has your resilience got more comeback than a yo-yo? Do you have the ability to unlearn in order to reskill, upskill and break through? Find out today and uncover your adaptability profile and score, your AQ. Visit aqai.io to gain your personalized report across 15 scientifically validated dimensions of adaptability. For a limited time, enter code PODCAST65 for a complimentary AQME assessment. AQAI, transforming the way people, teams and organisations navigate change. Thank you for listening to this episode of Decoding AQ. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast directory and we'd love to hear your feedback. Please do leave a review and be sure to tune in next time for more insights from our amazing guests.